Hi, this is Mission Island, and my name is Walter, and this episode is called A Little Tiny Part of It. And if you could please introduce yourself, that would be great. Sure, Lee Peterson, and I've been uh, manager at uh, Cinema Village for about the last five years. This theater was uh, started in 1963, which is the year I was born. It's always been an independent theater. It's gone through different types of indie uh, programming. I know in the late 90s, I think they did a lot of Asian programming, a lot of Hong Kong films when John Woo was, was sort of breaking out and when that was like a big thing. Uh, I remember coming here as a patron and seeing Hard Boiled in probably 99. Know it originally was a, a single theater house and it was broken up into three. Uh, two additional theaters were added uh, around that time, like 2000, something like that. And um, I've heard rumors that it was a porno house at one point. I don't. Uh, nobody's been able to confirm that completely, but I've I've heard that for a short time it, it was. Uh, most probably the most notable thing in the olden days is Eraserhead played here as a midnight show uh, when midnight movies were a thing in the 70s. Excuse me. Um, I believe it played here for about a year and then it played, then it moved to, I want to say the Waverly, I could be wrong on that, but it moved to another theater and then it, and it really took off as a midnight Screen. You know, that's when the Rocky Horror Picture Show was was a midnight show, and Night of the Living Dead, and El Topo, and all those. Uh, but Eraserhead started here, so that's kind of the claim to fame in that respect. Uh, more recently, we got a lot of press last Christmas when we played uh, the movie called The Interview, which uh, Seth Rogen uh, and Jeff, uh, James Franco are in. Uh, you remember it was a Sony movie and there was a Sony there was a hack of all the Sony files uh, and someone claimed to be from North Korean government and was was threatening to wage war on the US if uh, the movie was was played so Sony panicked pulled the movie from distribution it was it was going to be a, a 3,000 theater you know a, a big multiplex release they panicked they pulled it from release entirely everybody kind of laid low uh, of all people President Obama spoke out about that and said Sony you're making the wrong move we, we can't bow down to any terrorism etc etc they felt embarrassed uh, so they offered the film up basically to anybody who would play it who would agree to play it uh, just so that they could kind of have clear you know wash their hands of it and none of the chains wanted anything to do with it for security reasons. And so a couple of independent theaters, we stepped up and, and took it and uh, played it on Christmas Day uh, and ended up playing it for several weeks. Uh, it was, this was Christmas weekend. Suddenly I got a call from CNN saying, can, can we interview you? I said, sure, let me just check with the owner, make sure that he authorizes me to speak on behalf of the theater. 
He said, sure, go for it. Uh, so within about half an hour, CNN, CBS, Reuters, uh, I think a AP, ABC Radio had all converged. And at that point I was like, oh, this, this is probably going to be a big story. And I uh, did a few interviews with them. And then the next morning, I was not prepared for what happened the next morning. It was just a media avalanche. It was, I, I arrived probably 9.30 uh, in the morning, and as I was walking up the street, I saw just a ton of, I uh, saw news vans, I saw people holding boom mics, I saw <laughs> people pacing back and forth, and as soon as I started opening the gate, they just converged on me like zombies from The Walking Dead. I mean, it was crazy, like coming out from under cars and, and things. And uh, basically, I stood there for about a half an hour just doing press, just, just doing answering the same questions over and over and over again. Are you afraid for your life? <laughs> are, the, are the police involved, etc. And uh, it was really an incredible experience. I don't think, I mean, in, in a way, I wish everybody could go through it. In a way, I, I wish everybody wouldn't go through it because uh, I think I learned that I could never be a politician because this is what they go through all day every day and and I mean I have the perspective that it wasn't because of something I did I didn't create something it was I happened to be the person in this position at that moment when it was a big story and this is how the media works they just converge on you everybody wants I mean let's face it they wanted something to happen or it was a better story if something happened of course nothing did happen we still don't know who made the threats but they did make specific threats that anybody playing the movie would be killed, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I got a call from the FBI to brief me on all of the intelligence they had and what was it clear and danger and wasn't, and, and uh, spoke to the local NYPD, and, and they said they were going to have people on the scene not to worry. It was just an incredible uh, thing to be kind of swept up into. And it would, I, I, to me, it's, it's almost like a, like the media is a planet, and once you get sucked into the gravitational pull, you're pulled in. As soon as they don't want you, <laughs> once you step away, once you're out of that gravitational pull, forget about it. And I knew once this, I mean, unless the worst happened, that this story would just fade in a couple of days because it was just, uh, you know, and nothing did happen, fortunately. For, for staff and for everybody else. Uh, but over the course of those four days, it was just, you could not escape it. If you were, in, if you had the television on, if you had the radio on, if you had a newspaper, you saw it. And for some reason, my name got attached to that. So it was like everywhere. So I was getting phone calls and emails from friends in Dallas and Phoenix and Nebraska. Oh, I saw you on TV. Said, oh, cool, cool. <laughs> I couldn't, you know, on a normal day, you know, it, or in a normal life, you get in the newspaper once and you clip it out and you know, frame it and whatever. I couldn't keep up with it. It was just impossible. It was just this avalanche of this is the news story and, and everybody was running with it.
again, I'm not delusional. I don't think I did anything. It's just, it was almost like I, like I was outside looking in and saying, wow, this is how the media works. I got a, I got a phone call on uh, <clears throat> the day after Christmas from a producer at Fox Business News says, oh, we, we saw your quote in the Wall Street Journal. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, I haven't. <laughs> um, saw your quote in, in the Wall Street Journal. We'd really like to interview you. Ah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. Just send somebody over. She said, well, actually, we're going to send a car for you and bring you down uh, to do a live piece. Oh, okay. Sure. Guess I should uh, shave. <laughs> so, uh, two hours later, I'm sitting in, uh, in the studio on live TV talking to a cyber terrorism expert. I'm like, are you sure you got the right guy? <laughs> yeah, it was just so surreal. It really was surreal. Uh, but that's, you know, that's how, that's how the media works, I guess. If you're, if you're part of a story, they grab you, they suck you in, and, and once, once they're finished with you, goodbye. Funny when they when you're asked the same question over and over. Like I'm talking to you, and there's someone standing right here who clearly can hear the entire conversation or could be recording it. As soon as they finish, you say, "Oh, Mr. Peterson, can I ask you a question?" And they ask the same exact question because I guess they have to have their own recording of it. So you're answering the same question over and over. Are you afraid for your life? Do you afraid someone's going to kill you? <laughs> after after you're asked that question 15 times, you're like, hmm. Maybe I should be. Maybe I should be afraid. But uh, you know, the adrenaline kind of kept us from being afraid. Or uh, and as it turns out, you know, it was nothing happened, which is good. So that's that's that story. Uh, I did I did have the presence of mind not to specifically ever say North Korea or Kim Jong-un because knowing video videotape it's forever that, that that piece of you know if I had said something like we're not gonna we don't care what North Korea says uh, let Kim Jong-un blah 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 my face my name on the screen that's forever so I was very careful not to say anything disparaging about North Korea I'm not stupid um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's sort of. Hopefully, someday we'll have closure on this and know either it was North Korea who made the threats and they were just bluffing, or it was somebody else and they made the threats on behalf. I guess it would be nice to know. But uh, I really didn't think that there were any North Korean sleeper cells waiting for the word to attack. But I guess you never know. Had it, had it been ISIS, I don't think I would have had anything to do with it. Just, you know, I've got kids. I'm not going to do anything stupid. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's that. We have, we have our regular patrons who are very loyal. Uh, mostly 
on the uh, 60, 60 plus, on the other side of 60, I should say. Um, people who live in the neighborhood who have been coming here uh, for many years. Uh, it's, you know, I, I think the thing with the theater industry is just, it's just changed, and especially with independent. I mean, this, this theater is really surviving. A, a, a major reason why it's surviving is the owner owns the building. When you've got rent, when you've got leases, uh, it's, that's, that, that's impossible to, uh, to, to really make a profit. If you own the building, you may not have to make a profit, or you may not, may, may not have to make a huge profit in order to, to keep it uh, functioning. Most of what we play are truly independent films that uh, the filmmaker themselves is distributing or are distributing. Uh, and they're very hands-on, they're very uh, involved in, in the whole process. So we do a lot of uh, Q&As of the filmmakers, sometimes the actors here over the weekend doing Q&As. That's a good way of getting people. I mean, really, it's these days are, there's so many options that going to a theater to see a movie isn't the, the first option. I mean, when I, I tell my kids this a hundred times, but when I was a kid, you saw a movie in the theater and that was it. If you wanted, if you liked it, you went back. And hopefully it was still there the next week. That said, I mean, it's, it's really interesting and, and important, I think, to, to be doing what we do and, and provide a, a place for filmmakers to get their films screened. When I started, we, we played probably 90%, 95% of our movies on film, on 35mm film, and now we're down to zero. We don't. We even took out the uh, uh, film projectors in two of our three theaters. We have one just in case, but uh, Sony announced that they're, they're stopping with their, uh, they're not even going to make film prints anymore. Everything is digital. We, uh, because of the marquee that we have outside, it's one of the few, like, kind of cinematic-looking marquees still around. So that attracts a lot of uh, film shoots and, and television shoots. So it's a lot of fun to be involved in that, and then, uh, and then after the fact, to just be sitting watching a movie and then suddenly seeing the place where you work. So, oh my God, <laughs> that, that, that's where they shot. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, the Departed. Was, shot here, Scorsese, uh, uh, Louis, the TV show, shot recently, um, Amy Schumer shot here for her show, uh, Woody Allen has shot here a couple of times, uh, there was there was a time when I was, I was watching a, a film in one of the theaters and suddenly the, the scene took place in the theater, which was really <laughs> strange, because uh, it, it the thing with independent films is sometimes it takes them two, three years, two, three, four years after they're made to get it. You know, they they'll they'll make the film, they'll put it through the festival circuit. That can take a year or two. Then they'll get distribution, and it could be another year. So this was probably probably it must have been shot like three or four, three years before it was being screened. So I didn't have, even before I was here. Uh, but uh, that's I mean that's the kind of thing that. You, feel like wow New York yeah this is great I love I love being in New York there's the celebrity I mean you know lots of, of 
because again, because it's New York and a lot of famous people live here and they want to go see movies. And if this is the only place it's playing, this is where they go. So you do from time to time see famous you know, people of all, of all levels of fame just buy their ticket and walk in. Uh, and generally people don't bother them. It's New York, so people are too cool <laughs> for the most part. But uh, most of the businesses that were here when I started working here five years ago are not here anymore. Restaurants have been displaced uh, as it's moving into a higher stratosphere as far as... I mean, I'm sure that it's always been fairly expensive here, at least since the 80s. Uh, but it's moving into a different area now. Who knows? I don't know. I, I guess... I guess the village is always going to be the village, you know? It's like uh, St. Mark's Place. It was always sort of the epicenter for the freaks from, you know, from the beats to the hippies to the punks to whatever they are now. There's, it's still the epicenter, even though there's a 7-Eleven there and whatever else they want to bring in there, a pink berry, that kind of stuff. It still is. It just is because that's where people tend to... People tend to congregate towards the places that are famous for being freakish, I guess. But, uh, but it is interesting that that uh, the independent theaters that are that are still around—they are all pretty much in the village. Specifically, monster movies when I was a kid. I'm of the generation that uh, read Famous Monsters magazine, um, stayed up late to watch the horror hosts, and their. Uh, I don't know if this is a Canadian thing at all, but um, at the time, late 60s, early 70s, every uh, every city would play. When they would sell the packages of movies for syndication to to the uh, local stations, they would get the good movies, and they would get the what they call the crappy movies, the the, the monster movies, the low budget, you know, science fiction movies or whatever. Somebody had the idea of putting a host who, who dressed like a vampire or whatever, and would, would uh, introduce the movies. That became the thing. So basically, every city, every market had their own local horror host. And you'd stay up late Friday nights, Saturday nights, and, and that's how you watch your movies on your black and white 8-inch TV or whatever. And uh, that's, I mean, that's what I remember of my childhood, really is, the most vividly is just is reading Famous Monsters magazine, seeing monster movies on television. I devoured anything, any scrap of information having to do with movie monsters. I could tell you, I could tell you all of Lon Chaney's credits. I could tell you all of Boris Garloff's credits. Uh, 
growing up, growing up in Nebraska, New York City was the moon, really. I mean, it never, you don't, it's probably true of, of a lot of places, um, but you don't aspire to that. It isn't like, oh, when I grow, I'm going to finish high school, I'm going to go to a great college somewhere, and then I'm going to end up in a metropolis. You don't think of that. You think, and, and 95% of the people that I went to school with are still there. They went the normal course. You finish high school, you get a job. You get married. You get her pregnant. You have kids. And then they're, they're even uh, grandparents now. A lot of people through Facebook that I wouldn't normally even know anymore. People I went to high school with, their their lives are completely couldn't be different, more different than mine. Just from that aspect, I think I kind of always knew that I I wasn't happy being there. I always kind of knew that it was a limited experience, but I don't think I. It, I really felt like, oh, I'm going to leave until I was, until maybe 18 or so. I left when I was 20. So probably those last two years, I was thinking, oh, i got to figure a way out of here. And at that point in Los Angeles, uh, a friend of mine got accepted to uh, CalArts in L.A., so that was my ticket out of there. And we moved out together. then ended up moving here a couple of years after that. So uh, it's sort of like having kids. I mean, I, I, I didn't, five years before I had kids, I never would have imagined myself having kids. Uh, five years from before I moved here, I don't think I would have imagined myself living in New York. But now I can't imagine not having kids and I can't imagine not living in New York. It's, it's, it's funny. You take the trip and then you realize where where you ended up. TV most of the time. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but we did, and uh, you know, most. I mean, I'm, I'm half joking when I say I don't trust anybody, but I, I really—it's hard for me to relate to somebody who doesn't care at all about movies um, or television or music. At least, I mean, I, th I think this—the the passion for one is very similar to the passion for another. I mean. You know, I, I grew up, and music was so important to me. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I had a critical ear for music, but it was still, what I was into was, there was nothing better. And I was, I was just voracious in listening to, I would, I listened to the top 40, uh, Casey Kasem did the top 40 every Sunday afternoon, and I would write down, the, I, I would keep track. Uh, and this is, this is, of course, Again, it's like, you, if you missed one, you were screwed. 
because you couldn't you couldn't call up and say, hey, what was number 24 on the countdown? You had to wait until next week and then try to figure out which one uh, was. But I was meticulous. I, would, I kept track of, of, of the artists and, and, and everything. And uh, I think even with television, with movies, I, I would set up the tape recorder, a, a little cassette recorder, because this was before video, with, uh, with a little microphone, and I'd put it up next to the television, and I would record the movie. We were, I recorded Planet of the Apes, I remember vividly, and I would listen to it. That was the only permanent record I had of the movie. And so that stuff is just so much of the fabric of who I am, the movies and the the television, shitty television, Brady Bunch, and Gilligan's Island. I mean, it's not it's not art, but it's still because of the repetition, repetition. You you know that stuff inside out. Um, so I guess I guess I mean more that it's harder for me to relate to somebody who who isn't really passionate about passionate about some sort of art. You know, like I was saying before, you, you sort of forget moment to moment. You're just in your head and you're in your life and, and you're at a dumb job and whatever. And and then suddenly something happens. You're like, oh, shit, I'm actually really plugged into all this. And there's electricity and, and this is like the most important city in the world and, and everything. And, and, and I'm a little tiny part of it. Certainly, when the the interview stuff was going on last Christmas, I felt like, you know, this is this is insane. But now I feel like I'm, I'm part of something. I feel like. You just you feel plugged in. You feel like uh, I don't want to say. I mean, I'm not working for Doctors Without Borders or anything, I'm not saving lives, but you do kind of feel like, in a way, you're helping make people, elevating people's lives, you know, making somebody happy for 90 minutes. I'm not making the movies, but you're, you're, you're involved in a process that does, you do see a payoff, you do see people uh, happy or grateful. That, that, that we're still here, and specifically this theater. I get that almost every day. Somebody says, oh, I'm so glad you're still here. Everybody's closing. Please stay here. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a good feeling. Thanks again to Lee Peterson uh, for this interview. This interview was done in fall of 2015 at Cinema Village. Um, and thank you to the mus musicians uh, that I, I used their music for this episode. Uh, I accessed it through WFMU's Free Music Archive. The artists were Ryan Little, Marceau, Matt Oakley, Shake Monday, and Simon Mathewson. Thank you so much for listening. 
Take care for now.